The following presentation of the Jaguars Podcast Network is presented by ViStar Credit Union. Maurice Jones-Drew stands tall among former Jaguars. Ironic in a way that the five foot six running back who slid to the second round, the 60th pick of the 2006 draft, because of his height, remains to this day not only one of the most beloved Jaguars, but one of the NFL Network's best analysts, and a guy who commands the attention of coaches, players, and fans alike. This is Perspectives, the inside story of the Jaguars' first 25 seasons, told by the people who built the franchise from the ground up. This is Maurice Jones-Drew. There is also irony that the smallest star player the Jaguars have ever had is also the biggest champion of the smallest market in the NFL. The record speaks for itself. Only one playoff season in the last 12 years. Missed opportunities in the draft and free agency that have magnified struggles on the field. And a less than full stadium in Jacksonville combined with the now annual trip to London that fuels the fires of misinformation about the city and the fan base and their credentials as a football town. Maurice works at the NFL Network and lives in Los Angeles where he doubles as the color analyst for the Rams and their radio network. But it's clear that no matter where he lives and no matter who signs his check, Mojo is a teal-blooded Jaguar through and through. My connection with this team is, I think it's less about like the team in general, but it's more about the people who are in the building. Um, it's more about the people outside the building. It's more about the city. Uh, coming here at 20 years old, you think you know everything. I learned a lot of lessons here. Um, but it's completely different than any other place I've ever been to in my life. Like I've been to Minnesota. I've been to Green Bay. I've been to, obviously, Oakland was the last year. I've been to all these places. But this is a family. This, this you know, when I came here, Wayne Weaver ran this organization. He ran it like a family. I remember going to the Christmas dinners. I remember seeing the wives and the players hang out. And to me, that was because that's what football is. It's about creating relationships. And I remember seeing the security guards every day who would smile. I mean, after some of the worst losses that we had, people would still come and say, hey, man, you did a great job. Or, hey, you guys can do it. Like, it was it was a family. And that's, to me, the most important thing that you can have here. Um, when, I, when I am on TV and I'm talking about it, I'm not talking from a place where people are like, you know, where other people might have had a bad situation. My my situation here in 2012 was strictly financial, and I said that in the press conference that it was strictly a financial move. It was it had zero to do with me not liking people. I love the people here. I always will love the people here, regardless of how how it ended when I left or how it was when I was here. I still love the people in this building. I love the cooks. I love the janitor. I love the security guards. I love the people in the streets that when you say hello after games, I love the kid. I, I loved everything about this place because I grew up here and the way people treated you and then the way you treated them. Um, that, that to me is the most important thing. And so when people always ask, Hey, like what about Jacksonville? Like, you, you know, nothing about Jacksonville because you've never been there. You don't know what it's like there. You don't know how the people, the people give you the shirt off their backs. You know, Dan Edwards, his daughter, <laughs> his daughter was our, our babysitter. At one point in my life, like if I wanted a date night, I would call his daughter or I'd call other players on the team to come watch or drop our like you can't do that everywhere else. And it's not as if, you know, you know, and again, I don't know every other relationship, but this wasn't just one player that I would call to come watch my kids. It'd be multiple players. It wasn't just, you know, I remember walking by uh, the uh, the ticket office 
and people just having a like, hey, how are you? Like, it was a family atmosphere here, and that to me is what saved me because again, a kid coming from Los Angeles having a bunch of money thrown in his pocket, like I could have made a ton of mistakes, and I did make a ton of mistakes, but the people here protected me. And they allowed me to grow and be who I was. And, that, and that's the most important thing. Talking with Maurice, the connection is clearly durable. Nothing can dent it. And it won't ever end. It's also clear that his love affair with Jacksonville and its professional football team began almost as soon as he put his feet on the ground more than 13 years ago. Well, I, I remember uh, first getting a call and thinking, I'm going to Florida. I trained in Miami. All of Florida is the exact same. And so... Uh, so we land, you get off, you walk on the tarmac. Uh, I get met by, I, I forget who it was at the time, but uh, picked up. And Mercedes, we weren't on the same flight because I'm from San Francisco. He's from L.A. So we end up meeting here. But getting here, there was so much potential I saw. Right? Um, and it's funny to say that at 20 years old, like I saw a potential. But, like, the people were nice. Everyone was excited. Uh, they were excited to have us here which is crazy because we got drafted by a Trojan, a USC Trojan. Uh, but we just wanted to come and play. And, and at the end of the day, when I when I first got here, uh, I was nervous. And so when you're nervous, you kind of put on extra. Uh, I was nervous because, one, I'm not from Florida. Uh, two, I was nervous because I got drafted in the second round when you had Fred Taylor here, and I didn't know how he was going to react to it because you've heard horror stories. I actually talked to Aaron Rodgers about his situation with Brett Favre and how that wasn't the best early on. Um and, and then three, just being you know, a young kid half a way across the country without your family, you're just nervous. And so when I came in, I had to put on this this uh, persona, this this uh, fake false attitude as if like, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Um, and it all went, it all broke down when the first day of OTAs or minicamp, I think we had it first in, uh, in, in May, the first week of May, where I met Fred Taylor. And I was so nervous to meet him because I didn't know how he was going to react. And I went up to him. I remember going up to him. I remember sitting in the locker room not talking to anyone. you seeing guys like Marcus Stroud, Big John, Mike Peterson. They're laughing, having a good time. Uh, I could barely understand what they were saying because I wasn't from the South. Um, but um, I went to talk to Fred, and I walked over to him. Well, before I got to Fred, excuse me, I saw Greg Jones. And I was like, what am I doing in here? Like, what, this, is, this is not a place for me because you're seeing the size and those type of things. But – I walk over to Fred and I go, hey, Fred, like I'm Maurice. Nice to meet you. Like, I just want to come and learn everything that I can from you. And Fred was like, oh, man, I already saw your highlights, man. You're good. Like, we're going to use you in these type of ways and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And that really then made me so much more confident in my abilities because he was like, hey, this is what you do well. And I, these are some of the things I saw you struggle with or you need to work on or you need to improve on. And then literally that whole off season, we worked on being more patient. We worked on, you know, all the little things. And so when I came in here, like, especially coming from LA where it's bright lights and we were the man and we were a big team and we did really well, um, to have a guy who had been so successful in the NFL to come in and say, Hey, this is what we're going to do together. It really helped me out a ton. And so once I got on the field and the one thing I always tell people that Fred told me that I'll never forget, um, I think it was one of the, one of the first practices I struggled in. And he was like, dude, like, why, why are you pressing? Like, this is like Pop Warner. The same moves that have worked in Pop Warner, they work here, trust me. And that was my mindset for the rest of my career was that this, this was just like Pop Warner youth football, that um, you go out there and play the same way. Like, trust me, the little move that you did in Pop Warner is going to work, and it worked. 
and it just kept working on and on and on. And so um, that's where the confidence came from is practicing against that tough defense, learning from Fred, learning from Kennedy Pola, um, you know, being able to be put in certain situations, um, telling myself every day, like, I'm competing with a, one of the, the better running backs in the league. Uh, and, you know, my mindset was always to try to come in and be the starter, but to go in there and learn and compete like that, the confidence kind of just came out and then that matter. More perspectives following this from ViStar Credit Union. At ViStar, we believe in better. And that means treating people better with friendly, personal service that's kept our members happy since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when you enter the branch, an online or phone chat for those quick questions, and a call center that's open every day. If you believe that great service is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. They put it all together in 2007. The golden era of Jaguars football is generally regarded as the Coughlin years, and its best team, the 1999 bunch that went 14-2. What the 2017 may have lacked in overall talent it more than made up for with huge personalities that shaped as fun a season as the Jaguars have ever had. 2007 was a, a special year just because I think it all came together for us as an organization, as a team that one year. Um, 2006, we were close. Uh, go to Kansas City. We had a chance to win in Kansas City. If we win in Kansas City, we make the playoffs. And we, I think I forget what we lost by, but we lost. So that that kind of that off season, I remember a lot of the guys. We went on a vacation. They were like, "Look, this is the year. Everyone go and work hard. Everyone do what you have to do. Come back and let's go. Let's go take this thing over." Um, so 2007, we come back. Uh, Granted, you talked about we talk about Chris Naoli. We talk about Vinny Manawai. We talk about Brad Meester. We added Tony Pashos that year, um, and, and so. It, it was crazy to see Khalif Barnes at left tackle, who doesn't get enough credit for blocking Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis by himself. When we would go in those games, we would never slide the line. We would slide the line the other way, and he would have to be one-on-one with either Dwight Freeney or Robert Mathis. And so we knew going in that we had an opportunity, and, and that year was uh, it was a little weird because that's the year Byron Leftwich gets cut right before the season. Um, and I remember Mike Peterson uh, having a team meeting saying like it doesn't matter you know we can't control that and, and that was something that was really important for us to hear because we were a young team now that I look back at it like I think Fred might have been 27 Mike Peterson might have been 26 27 ish and I'm 21 um, at the time so I'm, I'm thinking these guys are like super old but they're young you know um, and so to have that leadership from our leaders to say we can't control what's going on over there all we can do is control our play on the field and if we believe that we're a playoff team or a championship team, we'll go and show it. And so uh, we start we start running. Um, I want to say a year we played the Falcons, with, where that was the year Vic got in trouble. We played the Falcons. We got after them pretty good. Um, we played uh, David Garrard, our starting quarterback. We're rolling. David gets hurt. We go into Tampa and beat Tampa. And we I think we threw the ball seven times or 11 times. Um, and we it was funny. I remember going on the field. And I remember them uh, talking about being nine on seven, which is just like a run inside run drill. And uh, we did, we wanted to see if Tampa was ready for it. Tampa was a cover two team. They wanted to play West Coast offense. Did they were they able to handle smash mouth football? And we went out there, and Quinn Gray is our quarterback, and and he threw uh, I want to say one touchdown to Matt Jones, but 
other than that, we ran the ball 17 times in a row at one point. Like we were going to impose our will on everyone, and obviously everyone remembers going into Pittsburgh, beating Pittsburgh uh, in the regular season, and then once we got to the playoffs, I, n- I never saw the intensity. I I, I now I, I then understood why the playoffs were the playoffs because practice was so intense. I mean, guys were tackling each other, and man, we were hitting and we were doing everything to make sure that we understood. You know, during the regular season, some guys would stay here and, you know, hang out. Some guys would go places. In the playoffs, everyone stayed and watched film. Everyone knew what was at uh, at, at hand. And so to go into Pittsburgh and, and, and then beat them a second time, a team that was built like we were, uh, wanted to be physical, run the ball, a bigger quarterback, um, all those things, going there and beat them the way we did in that fashion um, – it was nice. And then, to be honest, going to New England was even – that week was even crazier. And that I think that's when I realized, you know, you, that's when I gained a lot of respect over the years for New England because I was so tired that week. Like I think I was going to bed at like 6 o'clock every night. And so trying to just get my energy up. Never played into January before. Never been there. So I was doing everything I could to keep my energy up. Um, I think everyone else was doing the same thing. Practice were even more intense. Um we go into that game and we were rolling. We we had a you know a couple mishaps here, but we had an opportunity to win the game, and it just didn't happen. But that team, it was so many little things that went on throughout that year um, that we overcame, and that's part of the you know I always tell people you know there's a little luck involved when winning a championship. It's not you you are a really good team, but there's a little bit of luck involved. You're healthy, which is one which we were that year. Um, you you don't you know Mike Vick goes out so we don't have to play him and against Atlanta we we have some different other teams we knew we were a good team we lost to the Colts twice but we knew we had them beat in Indianapolis and we knew we could beat them um but I mean there were so many little things that went on like so many uh, little adverse situations that we were able to kind of use as motivation to get better um you know it it, it made it so special even till today like. Uh, I would, I would, anytime I go to Hawaii, I go hang out with Chris Naoli and, and Vinny Manawai, rest his soul. And, and those guys, we would just talk about life, right? We talk about football. We talk about those times. I remember being here in 2007, a young kid, um, going out and Chris Naoli would like pick me up from my house to drive me to work because it meant that much to him. Or, you know, his, his wife would cook for me or I would go and eat at certain people's houses because I, I didn't have, a, I didn't have, I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have no one to live with. I was living by myself. So I was eating like Sonic burger and stuff, but they knew it was so important that they'd be like, well, you come over and get a home cooked meal, right? Those little things are the things that made that team special. I would hang out with Fred and we'd, we'd go and watch tape and we'd go and do certain things. Like we just, we just were a complete team at that point. They came back to earth in 2008 and in early 2009, everything changed. The Jaguars released Fred Taylor and elevated Jones Drew to the role of feature back. It was the opportunity he craved, but it came at the expense of the teammate he loved. His relationship with Taylor helped the transition and set the stage for three incredible years. In 2008, we we had a championship team, but those adverse situations that we had in 2007 that we were able to overcome, we weren't able to do it because of, you know, the NFL is so different than any other level of football or other sport because money comes into play. And so we had some moves there that people couldn't, we couldn't get over. We couldn't 
overcome. And so we had a lot of injuries. We had a lot of things. And it just wasn't a good year for us. Um, I remember in 2008 being in Lake Tahoe. So I, I, I just had my first son. And we were going to Tahoe as a family. And I got a call from my agent saying, like, they just released Fred. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And so I immediately texted him, like, hey, man, like, is this true? Like, what's going on? He was like, yeah, you know, um, I appreciate everything. Like, you know, if you ever need anything, call me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm about to, I'm, I'm literally about to leave Lake Tahoe in two days and I'm going to Miami. So I'll see you in, in like three or four days and we'll talk about it. Um, and I get down there and again, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to replace him. There's all these different things that are going on. And yet he was still willing to be that mentor to me, like still pushing me when we're training in Miami, still doing the little things that we had did from day one. And so it, it was it was hard for me to be able to rationalize or be able to understand that, you know, like how to how that happens. Like you just got released and then you're still willing to the guy that they're putting in your place, you're still willing to help out. Um, but, you know, that's what Fred that's who Fred was. And so. I trained that offseason, understand that I had a high – there was expectations set on me at this point, right? You got a new contract. Um, Fred's gone. What Fred had did in the past, right, 10,000 yards, all these big seasons. Like, I had to go and be able to either match that or surpass that. And so that was my that was my goal, my personal goals. Um, and that's what I trained for. Uh, granted, obviously, the team goal is to win a championship, and, and we would play to do those things. But – that that was a time in my life where I, I really didn't under I didn't understand, you know, I felt like we had all we needed was like one more piece. It was like, just keep Fred, we'll figure this thing out. We have one more piece. But the organization wanted to go different ways and, and it was what it was. But the reason those three years were those three years that I had after Fred was because there was I, I always knew that he had set a standard and a bar for running backs and that I had to to either uphold it or lift it even higher. And that was to me, the most important thing I can do um, to do my job to the best of my ability, uh, no matter if you had eight or nine guys in the box, you know, I was sitting, meet with the offensive lineman. Brad Meester was still here. Vinny Manawai was here for a little bit. Uche Nwari was here. Um, we had a, uh, Paschals was there for a second. I mean, we had a bunch of guys that, you know, we ended up drafting Eugene Monroe and uh, Eben Britton. And I was, tr- you know, as a whole, we were trying to at least I was. I wanted people to understand like the standard is still the standard, right? Like when Fred was here, you could have put 15 guys in the box. We were still going to run the ball. When you know, and it was because the way our offensive line was going to block. It was the way I was going to run. It was the way that David was going to check into the right play. Like everything had to be the same. And so uh, those years going into it, it was all about making sure that I didn't um, that I did not mess up what the 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 running back, the running backs of Jacksonville have set from all the way back from James Stewart to Natron Means, I was Fred Taylor to myself, and then to the, when I left, I said the same thing to the next guy, like, yo, like this, Denard Robinson, like, here you go, like, you got to make sure that you do it this way because this is what the standard is, and so, um, but you know, it was, uh, it was some good times, man. Like, like I, I mean, there's so many stories you could talk about that. I remember. Um, in 2011 when we won the Russian title and I say we because the receivers really were selfless blocking on the outside like fullbacks and Greg Jones was here and, and our line and we were seeing 9 and 10 guys in the box every week it was, there was no like 
it was it was just like, hey, this is what it's, it's going to be. And I, I laugh now because I see these guys complain about having loaded boxes. And I'm like, yeah, that was an everyday thing for us. That was an everyday thing for us. So it, it's, uh, you know, th- those years were real special for me. More perspectives following this from Vistar Credit Union. At Vistar, we believe in better, especially in helping build a better financial future for our members. So we've reviewed our offerings from the ground up. We've lowered or eliminated over half our fees and enhanced our already competitive rates, saving members more than a million dollars this year, in addition to the millions we save them every year. If you believe that saving money is better, join Vistar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Passionate football player, Jones Drew was also a businessman, and he could see the change was in the air after a 2010 season, which fell short of the playoffs. It's funny how this, you know, the the NFL landscape, landscape can change. Um, I remember again in 2011, we're going into the season, and we cut David Garrard the week before the season, or the week of the season. And it was like, oh no, all right, well we did this last time, this has a chance to work. The difference was we didn't have the personalities in the locker room that we had in 2007, the last time we did it. So my, as a leader on the team and as one of the older people on the team, it was my job to corral everyone. So I, we had a team meeting, and it was like, look, we, it doesn't matter. We have to go out there and do our job. And so um, that year we drafted Blaine Gabbert. We had the lockout situation. There was so much going on uh, in this building. Right there, were, there was the rumblings of the team being sold. There was all type of stuff going down, and so you're trying to, you know, people. I want people talk about distractions. Like that is the craziest thing I've ever been a part of because you don't know if the team is sold, if you're going to make it. Because now it's it's a, a, a different owner wants to do whatever he wants to do. You don't know if the team's going to be moved. Yeah, family stuff you have to worry about. I mean, there's everything that goes into that. On top of we now we got to play football without our starting quarterback. Right, and and I still feel to this day, if David would have played in in 2011, we probably would have went to the playoffs and, and made some noise because we were close uh, a couple games. But going back to the season, you know, Luke McCown uh, is our starting quarterback. Uh, play really well in the first game. Win the first game. We go to the Jets, and he throws four picks. And I knew in that situation what was going to happen. I'd already knew. Like if he didn't play well, Blaine Gabbert was coming in, and we we're going to play with this rookie quarterback who still he had the arm talent but still didn't understand the the NFL landscape the game of football because of what he did in high school and college he played in the spread offense so it's a little bit different um but again it was one of those things where it was like hey like I I still have to uphold my end of the bargain to Fred Taylor as an organization and as a team we still have to uphold our 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 end of the bargain is going out there and putting our best foot forward and we did we did everything we could um you know, we, we again we ran against eight nine man boxes. Um, you know, we did everything that we had to do to try to put ourselves in position to win. We we were I mean, we lost a, a bunch of games by close scores too. It wasn't like we were getting blown out like we did against the Jets. Um, but you know, that's part of it. Like it was it was just a lot of outside noise that kept seeping into what we were trying to do. Um, after at the end of that year, I remember or towards the end of that year, I remember like. Every day of practice, the offensive lineman would be like, how many more yards do we need to win this thing? How many more yards do we need to win this thing? I was like, I don't know. I don't know, but let's just keep rolling. And I end up 
either hurt my hip flexor in like week 11. And so I couldn't practice anymore at this point. And the offensive lineman would be like, yo, you're playing in the game, right? Like, this is the one thing that we're going to do. If we don't do anything else, we're going to win this rushing title. I was like, I got you. I'm going to play in the game. And I would get here like five in the morning, get treatment, all these different things. I would try to run some days. It wouldn't work. Uh, really didn't get going until running back to like week 13 or 14 late in the year. And then I remember the morning of the last game, LaShawn McCoy's up. Uh, or he was, I think he was going to be active, but then they decided to make him inactive. And so, but we still, we had won the rushing title the morning of the Colts game, but we wanted to get the, uh, the single season rushing record. And so I remember warming up the, ga- the day of the game and pulling my hamstring warming up. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. And so I hurry up, I run in, I go talk to Mike Ryan. I'm like, yo, I think I either pulled my hamstring or I tore it or something, but like we need to get this thing fixed because I have to play. Um, and only only people that knew were Mike Ryan and, and uh, Mel Tucker at the time. Those are only two people that knew. So we get in the game. I think we might have been like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we might have been 60 yards, 160 yards away or something, which was, it was like a tall task, but we knew we could do it. And I think we got 169 or something that day. But the smile on those guys' faces, on everyone from the, the, the receivers to the offensive linemen to the coaches, that, that's what it was all about at the end of the day. It was like, regardless of how bad the season was, we were able to hang our hat that we were able to win the rushing title in a season that we had a ton of things, team being sold, coach being fired, had starting quarterback cut week one, all these different things going around, we were still able to, to salvage something. Um, and, and it was it was awesome. Now, it goes from being on the high of highs to during the offseason. During that season, we were in contract talks of possibly doing another extension um, so that, you know, uh, I could – retire a Jaguar, like be a Jaguar forever. That was just something that was important to me. Um, but it, like, as we were playing, once the team was sold, um, we stopped communicating. And I think that was the, the biggest issue that I had with the front office at that time was that there was no communication. Um, so, you know, after the season, uh, I made it clear. And I, I don't think people know this, but I made it clear. Like I wanted a new contract. We, we had, we had, <laughs> I want to say we just won the rushing title, 1,600 yards. Uh, the year before that, it was 1,300 and so whatever. And the year before that, it was 13. So it was the, the numbers were there um, and that we were facing things that no one ever faced before. And so I was like, yo, like, it's time to start rewarding us for the things that we're doing um, in these adverse situations. And so I, I made it clear that you know, I, I wanted a new contract or I wanted an extension um, going into that, that offseason, which I didn't think was hard because it wasn't – like we had a ton of money. There was a lot of, you know, there wasn't really many people out there. Um, so uh, <laughs> we're, we're, I remember my agent going to the combine and, and him talking to the front office and the people in the building. And, you know, they kind of like, they never just, they tried to make it like the elephant was a room, never just wanted to speak on it. Like, oh, well, this guy's doing well because my agent had a bunch of other guys on the team and this guy's doing well. And my agent was like, well, you know, like I know Maurice has talked to you. Um, he's really adamant about getting this deal done before it's, you know, it's all said and done. Oh, we got some other things we got to do and, you know, we're, we're, we'll work on it. Like, all right. So uh, at that point they hadn't hired coach Malarkey. They were waiting on hiring, finding a coach um, I think. And then they hired coach Malarkey and some different things. And um, what upset me more than anything was that they went out and paid some guys in free agency that had, um, 
I don't I don't know how to say it because they just they just didn't put they the numbers and the stuff they had done the production they had had nothing compared to what I did at that point and so that frustrated me it was like okay you can give you know the whole adage is take care of home first like for some reason we forgot about that and so we had guys in our building that should have been paid uh, obviously myself included um, but you go out and pay get this other people all this other money. And then, you know, one guy gets hurt, another guy ends up playing a little bit. It just it just it didn't it didn't feel right to me. And so I told him, I'm like, you know, I understand the whole argument of honor your contract, but at the same time you have to understand where I'm coming from as well as a player is that we're 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 going out there running against it doesn't matter who the receiver receivers were out, outside, it didn't matter anything. Like you could have had Randy Moss team when you play Jacksonville like they still do today. They're going to load the box and do their job. And so we didn't have a lot of communication throughout. Uh, there were some, you know, I there's some things people said, like, I better do something or this and that. And if you know me, that that's like the worst thing you could tell me because I always do the opposite. Um, and so it just it went from being on the top of, you know, obviously the rushing title to the miscommunication, the not really just telling me as an as a man or as an adult saying, hey, you know, we're not going to redo your deal. I'd rather you just tell me we're not going to do your deal. And you have to come in and give me, give us one more year, and then we'll talk about it instead of just not talking to me. Period. And this went from that to the holdout. Um, finally, coming back from the holdout, which you know was one of the toughest things I'd ever done because at that point my my oldest son was just understanding football and learning football, and every day he would say, "I thought you loved football. Like, why don't you want to play?" And all these things. And I was trying to explain to him how it, this is. It's just not. It's not like youth football, high school, or college. This is this is a business, and, you know, there's a part in business that, that kind of uh, takes over a little bit. Um, but then coming back and, and I actually being in, in the rushing leader for a couple weeks and then breaking my foot. And and, and it was crazy because I come back and I'm in great shape. I'm running. I'm having – I'm doing a great – you know, we're, we're doing a great job. Even though we weren't winning, we were, we were getting better. And then we go to Oakland, a team that we should have beaten, um, and the first play, someone just lands on me wrong and my foot breaks in half. And that was it. Jones Drew saw the transition from Jack Del Rio to Mike Malarkey in 2012, and then Mike Malarkey to Gus Bradley in 2013. He transitioned himself from Jacksonville to Oakland in 2014, and then from playing to broadcasting shortly after that season ended. His body no longer able to withstand the punishment, it dealt out weekly to defenders on his way to the end zone. He left with 81 career touchdowns, the most in Jaguars history, and his 1,606 rushing yards in 2011 remains the franchise's single-season record, and 1,980 yards from scrimmage is also the team mark. Along the way, countless memories were created, from his taking a knee at the Jets' one-yard line to set up a field goal and kill the clock, to that touchdown run against the Patriots where he seemed bottled up then exploded from the pile to his incredible 180-yard day with two 80-yard touchdown runs in Tennessee. The list goes on and on and on. Someday, in the very near future, he'll be recognized for his incredible commitment to Jacksonville on and off the field. And it's another moment he can't wait to share with his family in Jacksonville. Oh, man, uh, being put in the ring of honor would be uh, one of the top things that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to think about. Uh, earlier this month, I was uh, put on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, and I never would have thought that because at the end of the day, I played because I loved it. I played because I was around the right people, and I loved the people I was around. 
Um, but to get recognized later in your career for what you did when you were playing is, is one of the best honors you can have. Um, and to be able to put up next to Fred Taylor, a guy that I, you know, that I love, like when, 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 when Fred wasn't number one, I was hurt for him as much as I wanted to be number one. Like, it hurt me because I know I saw what he did every day. Now, granted, I didn't see Tony Baselli and what he did every day, but I saw Fred play through injuries. I saw Fred get up here in the morning and all the stuff that he did, and so that was my personal connection with him. But to be able to be up there with with him, Brad Meester, all these like like it, to me, it's like it just it just feels like it. Um, I'm trying to think of the word, but it it's not even accepted or accept. It's just like gratifying, like. All the hard work we put in together for the guys that I played with, it came out for something. And, and, it, and you know, I know it mean a lot to my family. I know it mean a lot to my friends that are in this city. Um, and my kids for sure love it. But uh, I can't wait for that day to come. It, it'll be exciting.